1: plushcare.com slash weight loss the michael Reed show podcast tune in weekdays from 9 on lmfm to contact us email now michael at lmfm.ie
2: Wednesday morning, the 20th of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Fine Gael has promised to invest an extra €7 billion euro in energy, communications and water to give Ireland the world-class infrastructure it needs to compete. New Era will give Ireland a high-speed broadband network with speeds in the top five of the OECD, a smart energy grid that will allow us to meet national targets for renewable energy and carbon reduction, and a water system that doesn't waste tens of millions every year through leakages. It was in 2011 that Fine Gael made those promises, and eight years on, Uh, from its general election manifesto. All of that talk has resulted it would seem, in little action. Yesterday, though, that changed and the government announced it had signed the contract with National Broadband Ireland to make broadband available to 1.1 million people in 537,000 premises across the country. Cynics say the €3 billion euro plan is being announced to give Fine Gael a bounce in the upcoming by-elections. Government says the announcement is long overdue, and opposition parties have failed to propose a better alternative. But it seems as though there is good support for this in rural Ireland. Let's hear more uh, from Seamus Boland, who's uh, the Chief Executive Officer of Irish Rural Link. A very good morning to you, Seamus, and thanks indeed uh, for joining us here on uh, the programme this morning. This is a long-awaited announcement, and I'm sure one that you're very happy to welcome.
3: Absolutely, Michael. I mean, Irish Rural Link started a campaign back in 2007 to, to say to government of the day, uh, unless you uh, subsidise uh, broadband for the last mile, if you like, it's never going to happen uh, because of the isolated nature of our, our demographics. Mm. It's finally signed yesterday. A lot of. Uh, you know, strange and crazy opposition. But as far as we're concerned, we are very welcoming of this and it'll finally bring rural Ireland into a place where it can compete.
2: Do you believe in it? As you say, it's been an issue since uh, 2007, indeed. Probably before that, I was reading from the Fine 2011 election manifesto a moment ago where it promised uh, some of uh, the best speeds in the world in the top five OECD countries uh, in terms of the speed that it would provide. It also said it would do stuff uh, with carbon emissions and water and all that sort of thing. It seems as though none of that has happened. This contract has been signed now and they say it'll be seven years. Uh, before some people, at least, will have broadband.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's the, the, this is the disappointing aspect of this. Michael, you and I have been talking about this, I think, mm. uh, more than seven years. <laughs> I think
2: so, there? yeah.
3: I, mm. I think you've asked me every time, when do you think it will happen? And I've almost ran out of uh, space to say I don't know, because, mm. uh, as usual, uh, we've been so disappointed with this. Uh, with broadband and the possibility. I suppose a manifesto is a manifesto. This is a contract, so at least uh, there will be apparently shovels in the ground in January. There will be, uh, you know, 100,000 or so connected in the coming year. Mm. So, uh, I've learned with this campaign since we started, you know, every time we get progress, we take it and we, we bank it. I I think seven years is extraordinarily long. I don't know why it takes seven years to finish this project. Yeah. Uh, it's far too long. Well,
2: if, if they deliver the kind of broadband that they're calling high-speed broadband now, uh, I'm sure uh, it'll be very slow in seven years from now, such is how technology develops. I'm not even sure if high-speed broadband is an appropriate term or if it's deceptive. Uh, I mean, it's what most of us yeah. would just know as broadband, isn't it?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, those who have, as you say, high-speed broadband don't know they have it, they have it, they never question it, it never falls down. But if you live in rural parts, you certainly know you have a strange uh, mm. hybrid of what's called broadband because uh, you get used to it breaking down. I mean, uh, we, you know, I know com- community groups and uh, indeed small companies who send their workers home every 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 other day because the damn thing is broken down? That's strange. So it's a bit like the old days mm. of the electricity cutbacks and all the rest. Uh, a power cut comes whenever a broadband cut comes whenever. We look. We mm. are simply saying this. The, we always had the fibre. Uh, which is now to come to all premises is by far the best type of broadband you will uh, even if technology improves it will do very well to beat that that's the first thing the second thing it's now committed to every house mm. which we said and that will take subsidization the European court the European institutions have seen that's okay so we we just have to hope that the contractor can deliver he has signed the contract and we have to hope some of the reservations made by some people do not come to fruition.
2: Mm. And to take people out of uh, that third world, uh, I'm sure there's a a lot of people who've tried uh, to use uh, the internet in parts of rural Ireland that you're talking about who feel it's like outer Mongolia in a a digital generation. Uh, But uh, if it is to be delivered and even if it is a a success, is it value for money? This is the other question that people are asking. You you said you heard crazy opposition to it. Uh, But Mm. one of the points is that we're effectively giving three billion euro away that we're giving three billion euro to granahan mccourt
3: well I, I okay i suppose how long have we got when you break down the three billion euro uh, first of all the, the, the usual if you read the the stuff it says it could be three billion i don't think it will be and then it's over uh up to seven years and then there's various clawbacks built into it First of all, uh, I will say this, Uh, we need broadband, Uh, we need it at as high a cost as we can pay. Mm -hmm. I don't think the overall cost, when you analyse it, will be €3 billion, but when you break it down over the next seven years, it certainly uh, isn't as bad as it looks. The bigger issue for me will be uh, to ensure that the Granite and do Mm -hmm. deliver as they said they will and as they've signed in terms of the contract Uh, and also Mr. Putin was very clear yesterday that there are checks and balances to make sure that the state can still somehow continue with this if anything particularly goes wrong.
2: Okay, but but there is still a question over if it's value for money or not isn't there because, you know there's 537 premises uh, that need to be connected Uh, and if somebody uh, was to look into getting broadband in their house uh, and uh, they Rang up about it, let's say, and we're told it'll cost them 6,000 euro. They may think twice. And if all of the 537,000 were to be connected at a cost of 3 billion euro, that would cost about 6,000 per premises, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh,
3: well, that's one crude way of looking at it. I would look at it a very different way. Uh, I think this is the, the biggest the, the biggest advantage we have to hope. Is that once it is available, that people will take it up? Hmm. It certainly won't cost them six thousand. But I know what you're saying. Hmm. The biggest challenge then is the institutions, the the, the commercial
2: companies. Well, it won't cost Let's the start... individuals in the houses. It'll cost everybody in the country uh, it, it, because it'll be yeah. funded through <laughs> yeah. taxes into this three billion. And we could stay with the crude calculation for a moment uh, because yeah, okay. this is where this is where it gets even uh, more questionable. I would have thought uh, because they don't think everybody's going to take up on it. In fact, they're saying only about 20% of the premises will take yeah. up on it. So the reality of it is, is that it won't t- cost 6,000 to connect every house. It'll cost probably it cost something it, more in the region yeah. of 40,000.
3: But there, here's the challenge, you know, when they brought in electricity a lot of people and I'm one of those people can remember when I came into our house mm. it gives my age away and uh, my God bless them Lord bless him, father thought one plug in the house was all that was needed, you know, in other words the the usage of the electricity wasn't firmly in his mind when he when he connected the electricity. You know, that as we know, that's very different now. The question will be, will the various institutions, whether it's education, whether it's agriculture, universities, the banks, uh, will now make sure it is more possible and will assist people in bringing Mm. their products and services through the internet and all the rest.
2: (laughs) Holiday homes. Well, as well as banks you know this is holiday. the thing you, I yeah. mean you've got to be selective at both ends of the spectrum uh, people who don't uh, yeah. need it and people who do need it uh, and yeah Well, I,
3: I, yeah. as far as I'm concerned you know connecting holiday homes is, is something I hope those are the last ones connected to me uh Look Internet is a tool for business. it's a tool for living. It's a tool to manage. It brings a whole load of advantages. Mm. Even people living alone, you know you can have be monitored uh, from a health perspective uh, using broadband. You can even turn broadband into generating electricity off the off, uh, you know using the various technologies to bring electricity. In their own homes, I think you know Michael, w- the imagination can only start getting switched on right now as to the usage of broadband, uh, but i 'm hoping that many of the institutions, whether it 's electricity, whether it 's education, whether it 's the banks, mm. all of them, will begin to say, "Okay, how can we best use this?" I think those fears will be well and truly ground rounded and got rid of once this thing gets going.
2: Yeah or will it be outdated that's the uh, question no, i started off with i mean 20 years yes. ago the internet was years behind where it is now
3: Yes but we know we know this the the micro the fiber technology will not be outdated uh, yes that you have 5g and you have all sorts of Stuff coming at you, but all of that is extremely expensive and it's, it's technologically not even close to being right. Fibre is, is solid. It remains and it's way future-proofed at least 30, 35 years. And uh, I, I, that's assuming uh, something magical else doesn't appear, but I don't think that's going to
2: happen. Well, it may, though. You see, this is the thing. That's always the thing with technology. You don't expect it to happen. Uh, it seems inconceivable uh, at the time. I mean, if you go back, let's say, 30 years in time, uh, when people used to uh, have to go to the credit union to take out a loan in order to make a phone call if they wanted to call somebody overseas, they can now do it for nothing on the Internet.
3: That's true. But you see, that technology has been there. Uh, The the inventor of the uh, internet uh, gave a lecture at the Dimbleby Lecture recently Tim Bruns or Brunette I mean he, he, he in other words, the technology for all future technologies is either here at the moment or it's not and if it's not here at the moment then it takes a good 30 to 35 years to begin to be of any use at all uh, so we know mm-hmm. from our from our knowledge of where technology is or even future technology there isn't any comparable technology even, even remotely in, in the invention stage so We have a bit to go before anything magical will turn up.
2: Okay, and uh, it seems almost futile uh, trying to question it uh, at this stage because uh, the contracts have uh, been signed uh, and it's clear that the government has the support of uh, the main opposition party, Fianna Fáil. Uh, They're giving out stink, of course, uh, a lot of tut-tutting, but uh, they won't uh, be following up on any of that. Uh, But are you confident that this will happen? Because there is still the prospect of a legal challenge, I take it.
3: Yes, Michael, There, there is the possibility, and I am hoping that doesn't happen. I don't know, I mean, am I confident? Listen, Michael, I've been so shattered over the years on this one. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm never sure, and I'm not 100% confident either. The only thing, going back to the, the finance, et cetera, and electricity, if, you know, when we looked at electricity, and if you if you examined the electricity in the 40s from any comparable financial Uh, uh, examination, you would have quickly found out that it wasn't possible. It shouldn't have happened. It had no economic benefit at all, and yet it turned out to be the opposite. We believe this is the case here. But look, is it going to happen it's signed, and you know we'll take every hundred thousand extra uh, signed on every year, uh, and we'll take it and bank it, and hope to heavens to do the same again the following year.
2: Okay, well, thank you indeed for joining us here this morning, Seamus Boland, Chief Executive Officer of Irish Rural Link.
4: Michael Reed Reed on on
2: LMFM Now the Union of Students in Ireland has launched a mental health text line to help students who have problems with issues such as suicidal thoughts, abuse or assault, self-harm, bullying or a breakdown in a relationship Marie Lyons is Vice President for the USI in the BMW region and on the line and a very good morning to you Marie and thanks for joining us here on the programme this morning How has this come about?
5: So it actually came a result of our mental health report which we launched back in August. Uh, so the mental health report actually had a lot of shocking results in regard to students' mental health um, and a number of students who are being affected by anxiety and depression is definitely on the increase. Uh, we're seeing more and more students um, who are engaging in part-time work and coupled with full-time courses. It's quite a tough time for students. Uh, so we launched this text line on Monday, um, which is a free text line for students to available where they can text a trained um, volunteer in, in regard to getting information and support for their mental health.
2: Okay, and who are the volunteers?
5: So the volunteers um, are uh, mainly students who are volunteering and they are trained up and then they're supervised by um, supervisors as well. So it's a fully comprehensive and supported role.
2: All right. Who's providing uh, the training for the students, Marie?
5: We have a number of um, trainers who provide in regard to counselling services and they will be supervising the students um, through their calls as well. So it's fully supervised by trained professionals.
2: Okay. And how is all of this funded?
5: It's actually funded um, through the Union Students in Ireland and we're working with um, a number of different agencies in regard to it. Um, so it's supported um, by the Union Students in Ireland um, and it's a free text line to support students and um provides information for them.
2: Okay, and uh, that's uh, in conjunction with the HSE, or is this yes, uh yeah. okay? All right, very good. Uh, we better give uh, the number. Uh, I think oh uh, eight six one eight hundred two eight zero, and you text USI to that number, and somebody calls you back. Is it?
5: It actually works over that they reply to you through text so people don't want to actually um, speak to someone on the phone, they can text them through this uh, number so it's all through text um, and a student can access it then 24-7.
2: Oh very good. Okay thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning Marie Lyons, Vice President uh, for the USI in the BMW region. Now it's Wednesday morning that means uh, you should be able to pick up your local newspaper in the newsagents. Marie Kearns is here with uh, the papers and indeed uh, she's going to tell us what's on the front pages this week. We begin with uh, the Argus. What has people completely devastated, Marie?
6: Oh, Michael, this is a very uh, harrowing story uh, from the Dundalk Court this week, and that's the headline on the front page, which reports that 22-year-old Ryan Quinn was jailed for 18 months for dangerous driving, causing the death of Robert McLaughlin close to his home on the Newry Road on October 21st, 2017. Harrowing details of the effect which his death has had on his heartbroken family were revealed in Victim impact statements which are read out in court and which outlined how his tight-knit family had been torn apart by his death, which was unnecessary and avoidable.
2: Okay, and that story continues then on uh, the Dundalk Democrats front page.
6: That's right, Michael. Inside the paper though, there's a bit of a Christmas uh, theme and they've covered there of the Frostaville Winter Festival, which takes place in Dundalk on Friday and Saturday. There's lots to look forward to there, with one of the highlights being The parade which departs from Long Walk at 7 pm on Friday evening.
2: All right, uh, we'll stay in Dundalk. Uh, The leader has a story about DKIT.
6: That's right, Michael. That's the lifting of the strike action at the college, which was scheduled to take place yesterday, but was called off following constructive talks between the TUI and the Board of Management at the college. The TUI noted that they had received written commitment from management to achieving technological university status and an immediate engagement in that process was going to start.
2: Okay, a planning application then uh, is uh, featured in the lead story in the drawhead Independent this week.
6: That's right they're leading with opposition to plans for 661 new homes on a site on the Ratmullen Road in the town, which is currently before on board Panola and which we're going to be covering later on in the show, Michael. Meanwhile, West is the place to be this Friday night if you're around Drogheda as the town's new Christmas lights are officially switched on around 6.30pm and after that Santa Claus will arrive by boat up the River Boyne checking into Scotch Hall at 7pm.
2: We go to Meath and uh, the Chronicle uh, has quite a, a dramatic... A uh, picture of uh, chocker blocked road uh, this is bumper to bumper traffic tell us more
6: it really is the picture really tells the story there Michael but this is chaos caused by trucks travelling to Kilsaran quarry and uh, Anne Casey is writing that convoys of trucks are proving a nightmare for local residents on the Kilmesson Dunsany road who are warning of the possibility of a serious accident as the road is becoming increasingly dangerous they say that the high volume of traffic is causing the road to disintegrate
2: Very good. There, the local papers front page stories uh, this week uh, people may wish to make comment on some of those stories great variety of stories there actually and uh, if uh, they do you'll be taking calls along with Maggie and uh, you'll come back with us uh, with some of uh, those comments uh, in a short while indeed if uh, people want to make comment on those stories something else you've been hearing or if uh, there's an issue that you'd like to raise with us as always we'd love to hear from you our telephone number is eighteen fifty seven one five nine five eight. but we go to the issue of Verona Murphy and comments that are being causing some uh, resistance and uh, opposition uh, and indeed outrage on occasion. Will you hear how this was uh, raised in uh, the doll yesterday by Breed Smith?
7: Her statements are absolutely incendiary and they are made not to, uh, if you like, just get a- attention. She's playing the racist card, but it has a double impact and what it does, it deflects from the things that I mentioned earlier on. The absolute crisis in health, homelessness and mental health services for children will go under the radar because your candidate plays the race card. And then compound that with the visit that Minister Flanagan took her on to an asylum centre outside of her constituency. I happened to visit that place about 18 months ago when I was doing the Greenway in Waterford. I knocked on the door and told I could not come in. I produced my ID as a TD... And after a long argument with the manager, he allowed me interception to talk to a limited number of families. Now, how does a candidate who's not a DD have automatic access to a centre like that? Is this about be, her being able to say, I'm sorry? I didn't mean it. If she's sorry and she didn't mean it, what else has she said that she didn't mean? Are we going to engage in electoral politics where the race card is up front and then these apologies from both sides of the houses are being given and accepted left, right and centre? You describe her as an outspoken, independent woman who doesn't uh, toe the party line. Well, I want to ask you, Taoiseach, how high does your bar go? When... Will you take this issue and when will you deprogram this candidate and deselect her? Because if you don't, the use of the race card and the increased use of it is on your shoulders as a leader of this country.
8: Thank you, Deputy Taoiseach. Thanks thanks very much, Deputy. Well, first of all, I'm glad that you are able to gain access to the uh, reception centre um, in in Clane and that you are able to meet people and talk to them about their lived experience. Uh, And I would... uh, proffer that if you'd rung ahead in advance you may have found it even easier to get in and I imagine that's what was done uh, in this case Uh, ring ahead in advance, ask a new visit uh, and then you'll be told uh, told that you can Um, I I, I read the West Western People article, I I don't think you characterise her comments on homelessness exactly as they were uh, described in fact in that article she describes her own experience of being homeless Uh, I don't know how many people in this house have that experience of being homeless but she has uh, and she describes how she left home uh, very early, uh, became homeless, fell out with her family, um, and, uh, and uh, slept on a couch for a period of time before emigrating to the UK, and describes how later in life she went back uh, and did her leaving search, studied at night uh, to do a law degree, built her own business. And that's, that's the story she was telling, and, and I don't think that really came across in the way you described it. Uh, however, when it comes to uh, what uh, she said in relation to migrants, um, uh, as I said before, and I mean this, what she said was very, very wrong. Uh, they were ill-advised, uh, they were misinformed, they were absolutely wrong, and it doesn't reflect the position of my party. And I think it is right that she has retracted those comments uh, and has apologized for them. I
9: asked your and the question
7: was, how high is your bar when it comes to your candidate playing the race card? In that same interview, she claims that ISIS may have infiltrated three-year-olds that come to this country. Now, my uh, nieces and nephews live in your uh, neck of the woods. And they don't experience racism at all in school in Mulhudderd and Blanchardstown. But this card will be played in order to deflect attention from the mortal sins of your government you've made a complete hames of the housing crisis. You've utterly failed to address the health crisis. There are people out there who are screaming for mental health services and for places in school. We have never had as much wealth in the country. It's the fastest growing economy in Europe and this is being used to deflect attention from your side of the house fairly and squarely. I'll ask you again How high is your bar when it comes to using racist language for your candidates? Would you not immediately say, that is not on, you're deselected and furthermore she needs to be deprogrammed and that will take more than two weeks before the the by-election takes place because it is utterly shameful what she said. I've listened to this woman, I've been on television programmes with with her when it comes to the Irish Hollywood Association she's forensic in her information, in her thoughts in her ideas. Now she's spouting lies that will scapegoat minorities, and should that escalate, Taoiseach, I'm telling you, as leader of this country, it's on your shoulders. Please answer my questions. How high is your bar against racism in your
8: party? Thank you, Deputy Taoiseach. Thanks, Deputy. You know, you know as somebody who probably knows a little bit more about experiencing racism than perhaps you do, um, my bar... I don't know whether whether you say it's high or low, but it's certainly not something that is tolerated uh, in the party that I lead. Uh, And yes, I did ring her yesterday. I rang rang her yesterday, spoke to her about it, told her that what she said was not on. She reflected on that. Uh, She she at that stage had already withdrawn the the comments uh, and already apologised for them. And we know in this House that there are hundreds of thousands of of people in this country who are migrants. They make our economy stronger They help run our public services. They also enrich our society and culture. A very small number come from Iraq and Syria, and most of those are much more likely to be fleeing ISIS than having anything to do with them. And I think she understands that a bit better now than she did a few days ago.
7: Shame on you for not deselecting this woman. It is a Please,
8: Deputy.
2: That's uh, People for Profit TD, Breed Smith and uh, Taoiseach Leo Radker in uh, The doll yesterday. We'll continue this conversation with uh, the Immigrant Council of Ireland in a moment.
4: Michael Reed on
2: LMFM. Now we heard uh, Breed Smith uh, accuse Verona Murphy and uh, the doll yesterday of uh, playing uh, the race card because of statements uh, that she has made re- recently and playing the race card in politics is an issue of concern to the Immigrant Council of Ireland which says it's time to stamp out anti-migrant rhetoric. Uh, let's talk uh, to Theresa Butchkowska who's the integration coordinator for the Immigrant Council. Good morning to you D- uh, Teresa and uh, thanks uh, for joining us uh, here on the programme this morning. We listened uh, to uh, the interaction between Breed Smith and uh, the Taoiseach uh, on uh, the programme a moment ago and Leo Radker was saying that he called Ronan Murphy and spoke to her about the issue and he told her that what she said was not on, she reflected on the issue and at that stage she had already withdrawn the comments and apologised for them. Our apologies enough.
10: Good morning. Um Well, this is very problematic on a bigger scale because it's not only about this one single incident because what we are witnessing right now is high frequency of very damaging uh, anti-immigrant rhetoric uh, being present in public debate. Um, This is uh, becoming a problem in this by-election but I think it's going to be even worse in the next uh, general elections next year uh verona did apologize however we have to remember that words matter mm-hmm. and those words they would always be present in public domain and she actually did not withdraw on her statement she actually confirmed her statement again on tuesday morning in an interview with a local newspaper um so this apology seems not genuine they, they, they seem that you know um They they, they seem that uh, this is just rather a political game rather than genuine apology. As a a person who's running for for election, um, she should be holding herself to higher standards Mm. in making sure that she's tracking factual evidence when she's making a, a statement she should educate herself more about issues that she's speaking about because um, there is a risk if you're speaking from a perspective of a person who has no evidence and making, yeah. is making statements, those statements will be very damaging.
2: Okay, but if she makes those statements and uh, she's being supported by the Taoiseach uh, to the extent uh, that she's not being deselected despite uh, the growing amount of people who are calling for that to happen, uh, well then her statements are reflective of the Fine Gael party position, are they not?
11: Um, it's she's, a Gael like Rep- it's, uh, she's a Fine Gael yes.
2: representative who has the support of the Taoiseach. He says yes. he's happy yes. with how she's dealt with it.
10: There is, as I said, there is a big problem with the lack of proper reaction from Fine Gael. Um Fine Gael was very um, quick to call out uh, Lorraine Clifford Lee and uh, Noel Girlishes But when it comes to members of their own party, they seem to be uh, trying to cover it up and they are keep supporting people who are making vile anti-immigrant statements. And that's a bigger problem, because it's not only about individual uh, statements, but it's actually the approach that we have within our political elite to tackling racism. Um, and we are very, very disappointed to see that there is a continuous uh, support to um, uh, Verona Murphy. And, and and when we look at uh, recent events um, of other candidates that was dropped by uh, Gale it seems like a swing has more rights in Ireland than migrants, refugees and asylum
2: seekers. Right. Uh, Leo Radker said she was very wrong. What she said about migrants were very wrong. Uh, She was ill-advised. She was misinformed. And she was absolutely wrong. Uh, But none of that makes any difference. Uh, uh, Once she said it, uh, there's no way you can retract what has been said, is there?
10: Not really. Uh, those words matter and we have to start uh, taking this seriously and we have to start uh, m- making a real statement that we're not going to tolerate racism in public debate.
2: But we are, aren't um, we? I mean, that's the question, I suppose, that I'm trying to put you in directly. Leo Radker, Finnegal is tolerating yes. racism, are they not?
10: Yes, he is. Uh, and and uh, because he's not making a, a strong statement against it, that means that he is tolerating um, racism within public debate.
2: Right. Uh, How do you feel about the Taoiseach, uh, the Prime Minister of this country, tolerating racism?
10: It's very, very disappointing because he's supposed to be the leader of this country. He is the leader of the country. So he's supposed to be showing the right way to go and he's supposed to be uh, showing the example. And how can we trust the government to tackle racism in general in population when they're doing absolutely nothing to tackle racism within their own, among their own members uh, of their own political party? Uh, not only they are not doing anything to ca- tackle it, but they're actually continuing support uh, for members who expressing racist uh, sentiments and anti-migrant sentiments. Uh, and that is very, very worrying. This is something that should not have place uh, in Ireland. Ireland is a very welcoming country, and we expect our political leaders to really hold uh, the standard of pop- public mm. debate to uh, to those uh,
2: to those values that Ireland um, uh, is famous for. Yeah, and why do you think uh, the Taoiseach is failing to hold those standards? Uh, because, uh, as you say, uh, the Immigrant Council feels let down because he hasn't taken a strong position on this. But he comes from a migrant background himself. Should he not know better? Well.
10: That's very difficult to discuss because uh, I can't really uh, speculate about his motivations, uh, but it seems that he doesn't really understand uh, how damaging those statements are. He does, It seems that he doesn't understand that the, the cycle of violence shows clearly, uh, examples from other countries show clearly that um, the cycle of violence mm. always starts with words. Okay, Theresa... Yes.
2: Theresa, I'm sorry. Can, can, can I quote one sentence from the Taoiseach for you? Yes. Uh, he said in the Doll yesterday, I probably know a little bit more about experiencing racism than perhaps Breed Smith does. Uh, is it a situation that perhaps he needs to learn a little bit more?
10: If he knows what racism feels like, then it's even more disappointing that he's not uh, standing up for other victims. Uh, he's a person who's been quite privileged in, in life. He is a person who has uh, holds a lot of power and um, is probably very, you know well-equipped to deal with racism. But he has to think that his duty is to protect people who are vulnerable, people who might not have as much of power and privilege and strength personal strength to deal with those daily attacks that they are experiencing and that is his duty it's not about empowering people who have already power it's about protecting people who are disempowered and people who are disempowered were a direct target of verona Murphy's comments
2: all right are are we following in the footsteps of the uk and uh, the united united states do you think
10: it seems like Uh, This is very, very upsetting to to observe the change that happened in Ireland in the last pretty much 12 months. This started during the presidential elections and then uh, local and European elections. Certain candidates were using on purpose anti-immigrant platform to gain votes. Um, And it seems that older people are taking this example and are trying similar approach and this is exactly what is happening in the U.S. and and the um, U.K., which pretty much shows that Ireland is not immune to international currents um, where uh, neo-Nazis and, and racist sentiments are becoming a mainstream Uh,
2: part of our public discourse Okay, well that's obviously a a reflection on uh, the people living in the country as well Uh, we leave it there for the moment though and thank you indeed uh, for joining us here on the the programme this morning Teresa Bochkowska is uh, the integration coordinator with uh, the Immigrant Council of Ireland
4: Michael Reed on
2: LMFM. Now, Marie has come back in with uh, some of uh, the calls and uh, text messages uh, that have been coming to us uh, this morning. What have people been saying to us, Marie?
6: Michael, first of all, there's been quite a few comments in relation to the broadband being uh, approved and says that the plan has been signed off on, but what is the timeline for rollout of the project? When will it be completed? We've seen lots of great projects being announced from this government but then they've been delayed or held up. So is the same going to happen with broadband, she wonders? No,
2: it'll be long enough if it's not. I mean, it under is. their plan, uh, there, I think there's 100,000 uh, people a, a year to be signed up to it, uh, but they said that it could take up to seven years uh, right. for it to be fully rolled out.
6: if all goes according to plan. Marty wants to know how much the plan is going to cost us. He knows we've been given a ballpark figure, but has no doubt it's inevitably going to cost much more than that, given the government's Record. Just look at the ever-rising costs at the National Children's Hospital. Who is going to be holding the purse poor, the, the poor strings on this project and making sure that it keeps on track and make sure, more importantly, that we're getting value for money because that is so important. The value for money end of things. Fran texts in, we are up to our eyeballs in national debt. How this stupid government wants to, now the stupid government wants to throw another 3 billion into the debt pot. This is wrong. And Fran is thinking it should be scrapped altogether. I don't know what the people in rural Ireland would think of that because we've had some people who are delighted, Michael, that it's happening. James from County Meath says, if you're living in an area with a crop net work, you, sh- you would be welcoming this. It's long overdue. I just hope that it doesn't take forever.
2: Mm, OK, well, it depends on where you are in the country. Uh, it'll uh, uh, be from January of next year when work begins, uh, but it'll be some seven years uh, before it's complete.
6: For businesses in rural areas not being able to operate... Uh, As they should be because of broadband, they need to have reliable top notch service. This has been a long time coming, Michael, and it's about time that it happened. Mm. Why has it taken so long to get to this stage? Mm. Um, Margaret says, um, You left one important thing out in your interview, Michael, yeah. uh, off the Finnegale promise list, and that's oh, the new okay. hospital yeah. that they said. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Not like you'd forget that, Michael. Yeah, well, I was
2: reading directly uh, <laughs> on uh, communications uh, from the manifesto of 2011. I think she's talking about uh, the regional hospital in Navan, which she uh, the local TD yes. uh, said would be delivered if people voted for them in 2011. Uh, of course, that was news to everybody else outside of County Mead in Finnegale.
6: Well, Margaret says they think we've forgotten, but we haven't and we won't. Mm. <laughs> so there you who, go.
2: Who is they in that statement? And that comes back to the point of when the TDs went on the front page of the Meath Chronicle the day before the election, I think it was, if not the day before that. James Riley, who was the Minister for Health at the time, was I have no idea what that's about. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> yeah, I sure, should. Nobody knew anything about it. Uh, but uh, they have insisted uh, that that was the case at the time. Of course, they say that things have changed and it probably won't happen now.
6: Well, we, we'll have another election next year, so maybe it'll be a repeat, Mark. Ah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it will, yeah. yeah. Just yeah. staying with the Broadband for the moment, Marty wants to know how much it's going to cost us. And says that, again, worried about the figure possibly rising. So, mm. you know, as okay. time goes yeah. on, when you're mm. saying seven years, will that figure keep going up? And oh, going on?
2: well, apparently not. Absolutely capped, I think, is uh, the expression uh, that the government has been used uh, in response to questions uh, about uh, that uh, escalating and uh, inflating over the course of uh, the programme. But let's uh, go to this horrific murder in Lucan on Monday evening. Uh, Stephen Brain, crime editor with uh, The Irish Sun, is on uh, the line. A very good morning to you, Stephen, and uh, thanks for joining us. I suppose uh, people are being bumped off every other day in this country, uh, but this was a remarkable story in how this man was left in a car that was set alight.
12: Yeah, it's an extraordinary story, and I think it, it brings back memories of, of what happened not too far Uh, from the the border there in Ravensdale when Anthony Burnett and Joseph Redmond were shot dead and left in a car which was later burnt out so when we heard about this incident on Monday night that's what struck in my mind but Mm. the guard investigation is ongoing Um, at the moment they have they believe um, they're they're satisfied that they know who the victim was that was found in the car and it all started on Monday when a a local resident in Lucan uh, spotted his car on fire the fire brigade responded very quickly to the incident it's then that they made the grim discovery that there was indeed someone inside the car. Um, the guardee the, uh, the uh, then established that the, the the person who was found in the car had uh, apparently suffered a, a gunshot wound just below the neck. So they've launched uh, a murder investigation now, but at the moment there is still no 100% positive identification. Or official confirmation of the person who was in the car. Although uh, you know, we know that mm-hmm. they've spoken to an individual's family that they believe it to be him, and the family have expressed concerns for his safety. They've expressed concerns that you know he hasn't been in contact with them. But it won't be until the Gardaí received evidence from uh, DNA and also dental records that they'll be able to, uh, you know, officially confirm who this
2: individual is. All right, and uh, the killing itself would remind you of uh, the killings in Ravensdale Forest, uh, but the setting very, very different.
12: Oh, it's completely different. This is in a very uh, well-built-up residential area. You know, a lot of families living in the area. we, We spoke to some of the residents yesterday, and there's a sense of shock in the area that someone could you know, in fact, come into their area, leave a car there and then, you know, but the question is, was that individual shot inside the car, outside the homes where the car was found or... The incident take place somewhere else, and he was brought to that area. So, a lot of questions remain unanswered. But people were genuinely shocked yesterday that that this has happened. You know, there, mm. there were kids nearby. I mean, even when the car was set on fire, it was set on fire close to other vehicles, close to property. So, you know, it's a major incident taking place here on the streets of Dublin. But I think it shows that there there are. A number of feuds taking place in Dublin at this time. Indeed, not mm-hmm. just Dublin, but even like, we've Drogheda as well, we have Sligo, mm-hmm. so other serious forms of criminality taking place. But this one is a particular uh, vile incident where, you know, you have someone being shot left inside a car, and then that car set on fire. And the Gardaí's belief is that this has happened simply because it was a way of covering the tracks. Okay. Uh, destroying any potential
2: evidence. All right. Uh, reading your article in uh, The Sun today, it would seem as though you have the inside track on who uh, this man may have been. Yeah. Uh, and uh, perhaps you'd uh, tell us who Mark the Guinea Pig Desmond and David yeah. Chen Lynch were, uh, because you're suggesting uh, that uh, the deceased man in Lucan uh, was uh, an associate of the Kinnahan Cartel
12: yes well without uh you know obviously the official confirmation i mean you know we were working on this story quite extensively yesterday you know and you, you'll see some of the other papers as well that, allude to the fact that the guardia are pretty satisfied that they know who this individ- individual is this is a man who's been heavily steeped in, in organized crime for the last 20 years he was very close to mark the, the guinea pig desmond he was from the Ballyfermot area of uh, west Dublin. the guinea pig was a notorious criminal Um, He was a a very dangerous criminal who was engaged in assaults, intimidation and murder, drug dealing as well. But he himself uh, was shot dead in 2016. And another individual, uh, David Lynch, who again was linked to the guinea pig, was was shot dead in March of this year. And And the belief is that the individual who died on Monday night was very close to those two individuals. He may have had a hand or played a part in organising uh, the, the murders of the guinea pig and Lynch, uh, because of the fact that they were once part of an organised crime gang, they were involved in drugs. who were making a lot of money, but as like many organised crime gangs, they had fallen out. And uh, as a way of settling their scores, they, they, they murdered each other. So this, this is in relation. This looks like a, a revenge uh, type scenario where the individual who was targeted um, on Monday night it, it could be revenge for the previous murders and because. He was currently involved in a feud uh, with other criminals in Lucan. So, you've three, you know, serious criminals here from West Dublin. Here, all well known to the Garda, and and indeed the individual on on Monday night, Gardie, I believe had previously been hired uh, by the Kinahan cartel, and that was to 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 drive around other members of the Kinahan gang who were involved in serious criminality.
2: Okay. Really awful stuff. we leave it there though, Stephen. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Stephen Breen, crime editor with The Irish Sun. Now, let's go back uh, to some more of uh, the calls. Uh, what else have we got there, Marie?
6: Paddy from Navin, Michael, rang in during your discussion with the Immigrant Council of Ireland and says, I'm listening into this conversation, Michael. And I'm not sure where it is going to lead to. I feel nowadays if you as much as say boo, you are labelled a racist. I feel that this is been this is a big hullabaloo and it's been blown out of all proportions. I'm disappointed with the way you are approaching this. You're being an agitator, I feel. The woman ma- made a statement. She realised that it was wrong. She retracted it. What more do you want her to do?
2: All right. Well, Patty, what if I called you a, a name? Something that you found very, very offensive. And I won't do that. But let's say, imagine in your own mind, the worst thing I could call you. Let's say you felt very offended by something I said. And then I said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. And then set it again somewhere else. How would you feel then? Okay. Okay.
6: We'll move on from that then to we were covering an item yesterday Michael in relation to the doctor on call the Meath mm. service is moving temporarily from Navin to Dunshockland for the winter months and mm-hmm. they hope to have a permanent location then in the spring back in Navin but there was a lot of reaction to that and Teresa has been in touch and she says I want to ask our local politicians and TDs why are they being so silent on this move of the doctor on call to Dunshockland from Navin for the the winter months I feel it's very serious Navan is the centre of the county and I cannot understand why a temporary location accommodation couldn't have been found in Navan I feel that the politicians need to speak up about this that people are very annoyed uh, because of it. Okay. We also had a listener in touch on the same topic. This is Margaret who says, We won't be going to the new doctor on call service once it moves. I can't see it coming back to Navin. That's my fear. Well, there was no mention of that now, Michael, I have to say. The HSE have been trying to close Navin Hospital for years and this won't help. Our TDs are sitting back and letting it happen, uh, even though Finnegan promised a new hospital would be built during their first term. I feel that Meath is being submerged. Into Dublin and has been regarded as the Greater Dublin Area. It's time to get things back. Into the county,
2: says Marcus. All right, interesting. So thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us today. Thanks, Marie, for bringing us uh, those uh, thoughts. And if you would like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Marie and Maggie are taking calls today. Our telephone number is 1850 715 958.
4: Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM.
2: Large numbers of previously missed abnormalities have been uncovered in uh, the biggest review of smear tests undertaken since cervical cancer screening began in Ireland that's according to the Irish Times. Paul Cullen, its health editor reported yesterday that this review is being led by the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists in the UK and that it has found hundreds of discordant results after re-examining the slides of more than 1,000 women who had been tested for the disease under cervical check were given the all-clear and later developed cancer according to an informed source uh, that Paul Cullen has obviously been speaking to. Uh, Let's talk uh, about uh, this with Sinn Féin's spokesperson on health, Louise O'Reilly, who's on uh, the line. A very good morning to you and uh, thanks for joining us here on the programme this morning. I know that you raised this in leaders' questions yesterday, but uh, the information we have on this is pretty scant so far. In fact, all we have uh, are reports like that in the Irish Times yesterday. But uh, maybe uh, you'd tell us uh, about a case uh, that you brought to the attention of uh, the Taoiseach yesterday, and perhaps explain to our listeners who Fiona Prendergast is.
4: Fiona Prendergast uh, was a young mother, and uh, on the day that the, uh, the Taoiseach issued the apology, her widower received a letter from the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists. and in the letter, um, it, it, was, it was quite a substantial amount of text, but uh, one of the lines in it said, had a referral to colposcopy been made in 2009, it is likely that the cancer diagnosed in 2014 would have been prevented.
2: And Fiona then died in 2015. She died in
4: 2015, she did. And uh, she left four children behind her and a very extensive um, group of family and friends, all of whom are are grieving very desperately. And I think what, yesterday, what we saw on the front page of the paper, and, and, you know, um, fair play to uh, to Paul Cullen because obviously he's a journalist, he reports on what he knows. But um, what we saw in the paper was more of the same. So, I mean, Michael, you and I would have spoken previously about how damaging leaks into the media are to the women and their families that are caught up in this scandal um, and how it was necessary and it should be necessary to tell the women first. And that was what we were promised would happen. We were told that the results of the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists Review would be communicated to those women and they would be offered all of the support. And then and only then would uh, would we get publication of the report So you can imagine how disappointed Mm. I was and Mm. others when we opened the paper and we find on the
2: front page. Yesterday was just another day waiting on this report to be published uh, and uh, turned out to be a very different day when people bought the paper or saw the paper maybe on a a shelf in a a news agency. And you said it was a very difficult day for Fiona's widower, her children, Uh, family and friends
11: very
4: very difficult because again you know what they want to do is that they, they want to be able to they want to be allowed to grieve they want the answers that they so desperately need they have been communicated with so they they, they have received a, a report but then they read in the paper that there are hundreds um, and that was as specific as the as it was it just said potentially hundreds um, of uh, of discordant results that were found and I suppose what that does again is you know, like we've talked about this before and I've talked mm-hmm. to the Minister for Health about this and I've talked to Gabriel Scully about this and indeed the Taoiseach about this. And all the time I say we need to be about the business of rebuilding the confidence that women are entitled to have in the cervical screening programme. And what leaks like this do is they further undermine. So there, there's no specific information in the report. It says possibly hundreds. OK, now what that does then for the women, as you can imagine, who haven't as yet, being communicated with who haven't got their as yet or their families are at home who don't have the as yet and they're thinking am I one of those hundreds the decent thing to do would be to ensure that this information doesn't get into the public domain and to ensure that the women are indeed put first and that they are communicated with first and leaks like this all they do is they just make the task of rebuilding confidence in the uh, in the system that bit harder and you know, and I've said this to you before, Michael, and I don't think you've ever disagreed with me. Women deserve to have confidence in the screening system. We deserve to have a screening system that's going to de- deliver workforce. We understand the limitations of the screening system. We know that no screen- screening system is ever perfect, but the the screening system has uh, undergone a fair amount of knocks mm. in the last uh, in the last year and a half. And I think what we should be about the business of doing is trying to rebuild that confidence. And when you see information being slowly drip fed into the media, it's it just makes that so much harder and I'm someone I, I say it on your show and I'm going to say it again now I say to women go and get screened, get your smear test go and talk to your doctor, it's really really important, but that job is made all the harder when uh, when you see that the, that the system is not watertight and that leaks happen in this way and that information is drip fed out, so it leaves you with the question of okay, well that's what's in the paper today so what else yeah. is going to come out tomorrow or the next day and what else is going on?
2: Okay, so according to that report in the paper yesterday, the review has found that there could be hundreds of women, like Fiona who if she had been referred for a colposcopy in 2009 could be alive today instead of having been diagnosed with cancer in 2014 and passed away in 2015. Uh, It must feel as though uh, she was stolen from her family. Uh, Have you been speaking with her family?
4: I've been speaking with a very close friend of hers and uh, that's exactly how they feel um that's exactly how they feel um because this is a woman who would have uh, gone repeatedly to her doctor and would have said to 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 medical professionals you know i i really don't feel right i really don't feel right and yet the result that she got indicated that uh, that she had um you know that, that she had nothing to worry about and the, you know they didn't recommend further treatment so I suppose what's in the um what's in the report and what's reported in the paper is that in some of the cases so we, we know hundreds and then we we see that it says some cancers could have been prevented so for those women you know it, that's not the right way for them to find it out Michael, Do you know mm-hmm. that's, they, they should find that out either in a one-to-one meeting or indeed via a letter with you know with the proper support in place. That's a hell of a thing to find out and that's a rotten thing to find out uh, for any person but my God to find it out on the front page of the paper instead of uh, via the channels. When we have been given so many promises and so many assurances by the Minister for Health that he would take this seriously, that he would get out in front of it, that he would ensure it didn't happen again, that we wouldn't see again the drip and slow drip feed of information into the public domain via media leaks and yes that's what happens. I mean, that's a hell of a way for people to find out when they're sitting at home now. They haven't received their letter, and they're thinking, "Hang on a second. Am I one of those women? Could my cancer have been prevented? Could I have do- could I have done more? Could something have happened?" And you know, particularly for the for Fiona's uh, family. Mm and for her uh, for, for her children who will see this in the paper it just brings it all back up again there, there, there is a much much better way to do it and I think the Minister for Health needs to take a good long hard look at um, how this is happening because it is happening repeatedly, I mean I think this is the third or the fourth time you and I have had a conversation about information that's been leaked into the public domain and it I I just don't think that that's doing those women and indeed Fiona's friends and family any kind of a service at all. Because what it does is it just highlights the fact that we don't have all of the information when... Women want all the information, their families want the information, and you know i 'm going to work with them to ensure that they get that information. But when I questioned the T shock about it yesterday, he said it wouldn 't be appropriate to publish the report until all of the families um, and all of the women have been
10: involved well,
2: that, that 's the point i mean that 's what you were looking for uh, on one hand isn 't it uh, the T uh, said he wasn 't uh, familiar with fiona 's case. Whatsoever, uh, and didn't want uh, to comment on it uh, for that reason. But he, he said that uh, the report uh, wouldn't be published until it had been given to the women involved. Uh, but the point you're making is all well and good, except for the fact that it's been leaked to the media and appears on the front page of the Irish Times.
4: Exactly. And what I had said when the Minister for Health announced that that was how he was going to do it, I absolutely backed him. I mean, I I absolutely back to myself that is the right thing to do. Go to the women first, make sure that they know first, and then publish the report in full. But now we're in a situation where it's been partially leaked into the media. I actually think the kinder thing to do in this situation is to publish because uh, now you have people wondering how many. I mean, all that was in the paper was hundreds, so we don't know. Is it 800, 900? Is Is it 200? We don't know. And I think in order to be able to... to to allay those fears, I think publication really is the right thing to do. And I also call for the Taoiseach to fully, Mm. uh, to ensure that the members of the opposition were fully briefed, because again... We don't want to be responsible for putting any misinformation into the public domain. We want to be sure we know what we're talking about. But then, you know, you can't do that when you're battling with a with, mm. with um you know, with a system that is leaking like a sieve. I just don't think that's doing uh the, 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 the women involved in this and their families any kind of a service at all. And I think it's disingenuous as a Taoiseach to say, Oh, we should wait until all of the women have been informed should they're reading it in the paper. Right. You know?
2: Yeah. Uh, and who are they and how many of them are there are, are there women listening to us uh, this morning that uh, perhaps uh, should be more concerned uh, than they were last weekend, for example, uh, because perhaps uh, they had a, a smear test, were given the all clear, but have not been feeling well for a long time. What should they be doing?
4: They should go and talk to their doctor. Um, always, always go and talk to your doctor. Be, be aware of any of the symptoms, you know, the, the HSE and the mm. screening programme. You can check it online. If you are in any way symptomatic, go and talk to your doctor. Um, and, you know, no screening test is ever 100%. It's quite possible that you would get the um, all clear from uh, from a smear test and you know still be in a situation where you would need further treatment so always listen to your own body go and talk to your mm. doctor have that full and frank conversation and if you are at all worried seek medical advice don't put it to the back mm. of your mind because yeah, well, what,
2: what would you expect at that stage Louise? I mean would you expect another smear test? Because uh, we've been down that road haven't we?
4: Um, perhaps another smear test, uh, perhaps a referral into colposcopy, perhaps a referral to a consultant, depending on the level of the symptoms, but you need to have that open, frank and honest discussion with your GP and you need to sit down or indeed with your um, with your medical practitioner, wherever it is, if you go to the Well Woman and Family Planning Clinic or wherever it is that you go um, to get your uh, your smear test done go and have that conversation because I think we're all that bit more alert to the fact that the screening test is not 100% because Mm. most women will know that anyway. The screening test is not 100%, it's part of a picture and you need then to go and have that conversation with Mm. your doctor. And you need to stand your ground,
2: I I take it, uh, because time is of the essence, as Fiona's story proves.
4: Yes. Indeed, time is of the essence, and um, and I think you know what has happened now is everybody's become that little bit more aware. There's actually been an increase in the mm-hmm. number of people going for the number of women going for a smear tests, which I think is brilliant. Um, and there's been an increase in in the uh, the numbers of people talking about it. I mean, you and I've had <laughs> several conversations about yeah. it, and I have yeah. had um, indeed on, on the airwaves many many yeah. times. I think that's a really good thing because I think for far too long um, women treated their own health maybe as as, as something they did, they didn't discuss. They maybe discussed it with other women, but they wouldn't yeah. necessarily go to the doctor and I think now you know if any woman listening to this this morning is in any way worried she needs to put her mind at rest she needs to go and sit down with her doctor and she needs to you know she's regardless of whether or not she has had a clear smear test in the past she needs to go if she's symptomatic and have that conversation with her doctor.
2: Thank you indeed for joining us this morning as always Louise O'Reilly Sinn Féin's Spokesperson on Health.
4: Michael Reed
2: on LMFM. Okay, there's a uh, concern amongst East Mead uh, councillors uh, about a proposal to build 661 new homes in uh, the Rathmullen Road area of Drogheda. Let's hear a little bit more about this. Uh, Fine Gael Councillor Paddy Mead is in here with us and uh, Fianna Fáil Councillor Wayne Harding is on the telephone. Good morning to both of you and thanks for joining us. Uh, I suppose we have a housing crisis mm-hmm. uh, and that uh, goes without saying. Uh, so, uh, Uh, People are are quite often bemused, uh, if not just confused, uh, when they hear objections to housing proposals, Paddy.
13: Yes Michael and uh, hello Michael and and listeners. Definitely there's a housing crisis and there's a need for housing but just because there is doesn't mean we should rush things and perhaps get them wrong and if we look at this planning application that's in, it's not going through the the normal process of going through Mead County Council for planning, it's gone on a fast track system to board Planala where it doesn't have to adhere to the county development plan as tightly as it would if it went through the council. On the site, and now this is—that's uh, because fit. it's a strategic it's planning strategic, proposal. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's in Dinnor parish. Effectively, there's be the population of Dinnor will be going up by three thousand if this development goes ahead. Um, but if we look back fifteen years ago, when there was a previous planning permission on the site, you would have to say that the previous plan was more thought out. It included a roundabout on uh, the Mullen Road beside LMFM Studios, another one down the road beside the Hatch uh, Pub, which people may be aware of. Because you, if this goes ahead in existing plan. In five years' time, Michael, I know we'll be back in in this studio and people will be given out about the clogged up road that is here. It's not taught out. Even the site layout is, is purely taught. Which
2: road out. will be clogged up or which county will the clogged up road oh, be in?
13: It, it'll be both uh, mead and loud. Hmm. And in is fact, the
2: county border a confusing factor in this?
13: No, I, I don't believe it is uh, because on planning applications uh, both councils are talking to each other pretty well. But it will be, just so people are aware, so you will have the road from the site in past LMFM, down to the Thatch pub and over to the roundabout. You will also have the road down into Drada to, to the Peace Bridge and the, the already clogged uh, junction there will get a lot worse. But the other thing which I think is very interesting, and, and if anyone reads my report on it, they'll see from the 25 studies I've I done, if you sit at the entrance to the, to this proposed site and put Dublin on your sat-knife or put Belfast on your sat-knife, from half half eight up, up to near nine o'clock, quite often it will send you, not to come into Drada, it will send you back to... towards Dinor, down by Dinor Old Graveyard. Now these Mm. are very small little
2: roads and we're going to bring 3,000 people onto them Okay, that's the smartness of technology uh, I suppose, and not to confuse people too much uh, generally uh, the uh, upshot is uh, that the roads are already clogged up and it's quicker to take an alternative route than the route that will see more cars on it as a result of this proposal if it is realised You've uh, concerns as well, Wayne Harding
11: yeah, I do, and and Paddy has covered a lot of the stuff um, that, and and I agree with I agree with what he's after saying um, that can also be a first for 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 me and Paddy, but but he he's right. He like I I it's an area of drama I'm very familiar with, and um, my child has just started in St Oliver's. There's thirteen hundred pupils in that school, and um, it can go more, but 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 how much more? Um, to facilitate this type of development. The road infrastructure, um, Paddy mentioned uh, the, the junction at uh, the top of Marley's Lane, just for, for a user more or less sitting, and it, it's a really dangerous junction at the Bridge of Peace. I think probably one of the most dangerous that I encounter. Um, on any given day, because you have that dip, you're coming out of that dip onto the onto the dual carriageway system, and it's incredibly dangerous. Um, the, the, there's pinch points all the way along the river um, where the greenway is, and while well, the greenway is an excellent facility, and I do know that there is plans that uh, something that myself and Patty have both called for many times, a, 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 a pedestrian linkage down to to the greenway from these houses but 661 in that area with all of these things that we're talking about, like, it's, it's not properly taught out and it is being fast-tracked and deliberately too.
2: Hmm. Well, uh, that's because it's a housing proposal, I take it, that it comes under strategic planning. But it, it will have to be adjudicated on, and uh, the planning board is an independent uh, authority. I'm sure you have confidence in their ability to make a decision on this independently. Yeah, and And, the, and, to, and, the and, and to take submissions from yourself and others who may have concerns.
11: Yeah, well, that, like, the, the meeting that was we were presented with this plan... Um, and we're trashing out now what we said at that meeting, and that will be added to the minutes, of, uh, the minutes. of The minutes of that meeting will be added to the council submission that will go into the board. So our, 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 our concerns will go in. and mm. um, How well they'll be looked at—that's another thing. But I, I really feel for the people in that area if this type of development goes ahead without
2: really addressing infrastructure. Okay. Or, um, are, are you cynical about uh, on-board Planola as well, Paddy? Because uh, that sounds yeah. uh, the way uh, Wayne Harding is.
13: Yeah, to be honest, this system of fast-tracking, uh, as a, a national thing, I don't believe it has delivered. If you actually look at the full applications that are with Planola, the ones that have granted, mm. now this is a shocking figure, but only 6% of them have ceased uh, production, uh, which means that a lot of developers are, are, are
2: using this process to get the plan in and are still sitting but on It's the cutting s- out the inevitable. I mean, this proposal Otherwise, would go to Mead County Council, yes. uh, and uh, then it would be approved. Let's say, or uh, uh, bit, it would look. Sorry, the council would look at this, uh, and there would be a number of objections, and the planning would be rejected. No,
13: uh, not necessarily. If this one, and Me- then it would go to North
2: Planola. but so it's cutting out the middle. No, now. but
13: what you're missing is if it went into Mead County Council, the, the, the and anyone who goes for planning realizes they have to print out yeah. uh, their planning six times because it would go to the Transport Department, and the Transport Department would point out serious issues
2: of maybe. Of traffic. So, so if the council rejects the plan what happens then well then it would go for a and the, so but, you're just cutting out the middle man. but the you're also to 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 you.
13: cutting out the county development plan and the, the council's wishes mm. um, you know and, and these are serious concerns, and every day... Michael but you're l-
2: not cutting out the council wishes. The council, like anybody else, can make a submission to unborn yes. planola in relation to a strate- st- strategic yes. planning application, can't it?
13: Yes, but if it went to the council, it would have to adhere to the county development plan. If you look in Johnstown at the moment, where 100 apartment blocks is after getting planning permission without a parking space, if this something went, like that if, wouldn't happen. If, if these if houses
2: it, are to be built, yes, uh, they would be valuable housing Uh, and there's no doubt about that whether it's in the right location or otherwise 661 houses has to be welcomed anywhere in the country Uh, and if they were to be built it would happen uh, maybe six months or a year quicker than if it went to meet County no. Council because the objections would hold it up for at least that length no, of time. No, because
13: you can object here to Bourke uh, you can see Canola here and here as, as well. Yes. the the proce- This system of fast tracking is, com- is a st- there's a review starting but it is on fast it in tracking. December. It'll
2: but, fast track but it by hasn't. at least six months, no, if not a year. No,
13: the, the figures show that the, the fast track process hasn't been fast tracking, and that's why the government is re- starting a review in December on this very process because it has shown that it hasn't been working. And I, d- I don't want to be contradicting the, the construction industry or different people. But if you just sat here two years ago, you would hear that planning was the thing that was delaying. Now we're seeing, so 94% of the, the developments that got fast track and aren't been started in construction, which is possibly because the banks are holding up on money possibly, or because yeah. developers are sitting on land. Possibly, And I would suspect, to be honest, this field, I'm very familiar with it, 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 because, to be honest, I've cut the hedges mm. on it on a number yeah, of well occasions. Yeah, well,
2: even if you grant the planning permission, it doesn't mean that anything is going to be built. That's absolutely right. True. But uh, in the circumstance yeah. uh, where the houses... Uh, got to go ahead and were built. Uh, it would happen six months to a year slower if it had to go to no, the council first. No, don't agree with that, Michael.
13: But that's a fact. No, it's not, Michael. Check you. You look at the applications uh, for street housing, uh, and as I said, only six percent of them have gone to construction. No, I
2: said and in the circumstance where they went to construction, where they were built. Yeah, no. If you go into the council. Look,
13: Planning. If you it's go in, fact, no, Paddy. no, it's of not. Mike. It is. No, it's not. That's a fact. why it's called fast track. But it, it it hasn't been fast track. Mm. That's the point. The, 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 there's as big delays in board Panola just mm. as, as there is in the council. If you go into the council with a valid application form, where everything is is filled in correctly, and you're planning crucially a tier to the county development plan you will get through that process in two to three months mm, I've put mm, in look, yeah. my no, background is no in architecture no way not a hope of
2: a, I, a, any, any project o, o, on this scale there's no hope uh, it will be rejected and appealed to a always no now,
13: Michael, you th- so what you just said is that it will always be rejected. That means every housing development has been rejected by me county council. That's a complete fallacy. Housing developments all all the time. There are housing developments getting planning. In fact, this fast track is for developments over a hundred houses. Sure, all the ones under a hundred that we see being hmm. built have obviously been granted. It'll which, always which shows go. To,
2: it'll always go to appeal, will it not? No
13: there was massive developments going on that have never been objected to uh, you even look at the development okay. just across the well road from th- this very site where Glen building houses yeah. that never went to appeal, that was, wasn't objected to, but the developer in that ca- occasion talked to some of the locals and there was agreements made yeah. uh, be it okay. b- boundary walls and le- things le- like le- that le- and that's common
2: le- sense and that's le- what we wanted le- le- Let me wrap up with Wayne Harding, is it not common sense uh, the process here, whether the proposal has merit or not, is it not common sense sense to get on with it if that's what you're going to do?
11: They, they, just to clarify, I, I don't think I, I, I have any slight on, on the board or, or the decision makers in, in on board Panala. Uh, I, ju- I just want to clarify that that properly. Um, I think where we we're, where we're have the problem here is that it, we're um, Paddy was on about a developer listening to the locals in relation to that, that, that other site, um, which is just beside St. Oliver's. Um, we're listening to locals going, how can this possibly go in with the infrastructure that's in that area?
2: But if that's right, I'm that's, and, and, and we have it, yeah. And we
11: mm-hmm. have p- conveyed that when, when planners came out to present this plan to us. That would that would go that would be going straight to the board,
2: but then it'll be rejected quicker if it just goes to Embroplanola without going through the process uh, of going through Meath County Council, and it'll save but, a lot of time I and think, money. I it think,
11: not? Michael, the, the point of why myself and Councillor Meath and others around the table the other day, we we have to raise the concerns of the infrastructure that is going to see where there is an application for six hundred and sixty-one. We ha, we we have a duty to 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 okay. raise the concerns that have been raised to us by the people living in the area by
2: our constituents Okay. well uh, your concerns uh, will uh, be passed on to the council I think you said uh, you're not sure how much weight they'll give to them or something like that did you?
11: how much weight no yeah. no I, yeah. I I'd say, yeah. I'd probably I probably said yeah well yeah. Pro- pro- yeah. what hour what hour um, the minutes of the meeting the other day and the concerns that we go yes how, how much of that will be yeah, taken on board right. yeah. um, okay. that's the question
2: alright I have to leave it there I'm sorry but we're out of time and thank you for I your time and part thanks part to both of thing. you for joining us here on the programme this morning Vina Fall Councillor Wayne Harding and Fine Councillor Paddy Mead
14: Michael, Michael
4: Reed
2: on LMFM. on LMFM. Giving up the wicked weed is a very difficult thing to do, but fewer of us, uh, fewer of us face uh, the challenge down. More smokers uh, than ever are trying to give up. The figures from the Healthy Ireland survey published by the Department of Health are very encouraging because in 2015, 23% of the population were smokers. That compares to 17% in 2019. It means that there's 165 thousand fewer smokers in this country than would have been the case five years ago. Kevin O'Hagan, Cancer Prevention Manager with the Irish Cancer Society is on the line. And a very good morning to you, Kevin, and uh, thanks for for joining us. So I suppose that means there's a a lot more people uh, who face uh, the prospect of a, a life or a longer lifespan.
15: Absolutely, Michael. We're we're, we're very pleased with with the data that has come out today from the Healthy Ireland Survey. To hear that smokers are are giving up and that they're making quit attempts. Uh, As you said, there's 165,000 less smokers than there were five years ago. So people are turning off cigarettes, which is fantastic. And we know that about 40% of all of those people who smoked in the last 12 months have attempted to quit. And as you said, it's not easy. It's a very difficult thing to do. But we know that people are, are making attempts to quit and they are succeeding. And that's all positive because, as we know, um, smoking tobacco is is the biggest risk factor for cancer. And uh, we really encourage people to really make the effort to to quit.
2: And that seems to have uh, been taken up by smokers because most of them who have tried to quit have said that they've tried to quit for health reasons. And 40% of all smokers, as you say, have tried to give up in the course of the last year.
15: Yeah, we really know that the, the health message is very important for people, and we've had some very good health campaigns here in Ireland, and we've had some good policies in terms of introducing plain packages and, and graphic warnings on, on boxes, and, and all of those factors really do influence people to make a decision to, to quit. Um, and, and again, people are, are very, are very um, encouraged to kind of um, when, when they do make a quit attempt to, to kind of keep with it, because we know that it, it can take a number of attempts and, and a number of efforts. Um, so as the message today is to encourage people who are still struggling with the addiction to go along to their pharmacist or doctor, have a conversation, look for support and, and, and contact the quit Line as well. The, the, the HSE has a very good support service there as well. So it can be done. It takes sometimes a number of attempts but certainly the, the health benefits are, are tremendous in the yeah, long and term. The, the,
2: those warnings, those graphic images on uh, packets of cigarettes uh, do seem to have had an impact. A quarter of smokers say that they've been motivated to quit as a result of those.
15: Absolutely. I mean, these warnings, are, they're very graphic. They're very hard-hitting. They're hard, hard, hard hitting. Mm. Uh, People can't ignore them. They're, they're in the front, of, you know, every time they lift the box. So we do know that they have an impact. Uh, and a lot of the research is telling us that that people certainly are put off by it and, and want to do something about it. They can't ignore the fact that, that, that tobacco is seriously um, affects their health uh, in many, many ways. And so they can't ignore that. So the, the warnings do help. And, and certainly other policies, we've, we've always encouraged them increasing uh, the taxes on, on cigarettes um, and, and the various uh, other policy measures that, that that we've encouraged the government to, to introduce. And we do know it makes a difference.
2: Okay. And uh, I suppose most smokers are daily smokers. 14% of uh, the population smoke every day. 17% of the population are smokers now at this stage. Uh, and yes. I, I take it the more you smoke and the more often you smoke, uh, the more danger you're in.
15: Absolutely but sometimes you know people think that I'm only smoking occasionally that mm. they're not at risk but the risks are still there even if you're an occasional smoker you need to quit smoking completely to have the health benefits it's not enough just to be smoking occasionally so as you said 14% are smoking daily but we do know that there's a number of people who just pick up the habit on occasions and that's, we really discourage that as well because it's a, it's a very slippery slope from, from occasional smoking to daily smoking.
2: Yeah, and so, Here are hear people who say I only smoke and have a drink and then they end up drinking a lot more than they would have yeah,
15: exactly yeah and and certainly you're still mm-hmm. affecting your health even if you are just smoking occasionally so it's a, it's a it's a it's a it's a trick that we shouldn't we shouldn't fall into you know um so occasional smoking is just as harmful as daily smoking
2: and do you believe that people have given up tobacco uh, when they've given up smoking uh, because uh, a lot of people give up smoking but take up vaping
15: yeah, we've seen a significant increase now in vaping, and we would be concerned by that because, as I often, like it's vaping, you're still getting your nicotine, uh, and and you're still you're still addicted to nicotine. Uh, we'd be concerned about the number of young people and perhaps the advertising targeting young people. And uh, as I often say, uh, vaping is it's a very small step away from from uh, nicotine uh, smoking uh, tobacco. So um, we would discourage it, and, and the evidence isn't clear yet that it, that it helps people to to quit smoking in the long term and and, and of course there are some health concerns out there at the moment that are widely reported as well so we'd be urging uh, caution around vaping and discourage people from taking
2: it up Okay, we leave there. Thank you, Kevin, for joining us here on the program this morning. Kevin O'Hagan, Chair, Cancer Prevention Manager with uh, the Irish Cancer Society. Now, let's go to uh, the leaders' debate in the run up to the general election in uh, the United Kingdom. Boris Johnson went head to head with Jeremy Corbyn, but would you believe anything they said? This is about
0: personal integrity and individual character. Does the truth matter in this election?
1: I think it does. And I think it's very important. I think it very, important. It's think it very important to hear from. I've been very clear about the deal that I've done. There it is. It's in black and white. You can read it. We don't know. We don't know what Mr. Corbyn is. It's proposing. Not just a, It's he not just about He won't Brexit come clean. Brexit. He won't come clean with the electorate about what he is Ms. proposing Mr. to Mr. do. Corbyn, nor will he come allow clean Mr. To about respond, whether please. he would Thank support you, Johnson, that deal or Corbyn. not.
16: I think we've been very clear on our policies in relation to Europe. I think we're also very clear on all the other policies that will be unveiled in our manifesto on Thursday, and they will be accompanied by a fully-costed grey book with it. So every pledge we make will be fully funded because I believe the British people deserve that knowledge, deserve to know what we're going to do, and deserve a government that is actually not going to preside over rising homelessness, increasing inequality and chaos in the NHS.
2: Isn't that awful? People in the UK laughing at the Prime Minister in the leaders' debate on ITV last night. Now, Jeremy Corbyn then saying he was very clear and his party was very clear on this, that and the other and just about everything. But is he clear about another referendum and if there was to be another referendum, how he would vote in it?
1: And Mr Corbyn proposes to negotiate a new treaty uh, and then to put that to the people in a referendum, but we don't know, and I've asked this before, we don't know on which side Mr Corbyn would campaign. Is he going to campaign well, for leave can, or remain? Can we ask Mr Corbyn to respond to Very that? Very clearly we will we will negotiate
16: <clears throat> we will negotiate an agreement and we'll put that alongside Remain in a referendum. And our government will abide by that result. I will carry out the result of that referendum. There will be a genuine choice put before the people of Britain to make their decision, and we will carry it out. Uh,
1: Uh, At this election, what uh, we're asking is for a, a mandate to govern. And Mr Corbyn is asking the people for a mandate to conduct a new negotiation next year when we don't need one because we've already got a deal. I think what people need to understand is whether he believes in the deal that he is proposing
2: to do. And when politicians say... It is very clear. It seems as though it's the same there as it is here. It's very unclear. That's uh, Boris Johnson and uh, Jeremy Corbyn debating the issues on ITN in the first of uh, the leaders' pre-election debates last night and brings our programme to its conclusion today. Our time has run out and once again, and God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LNFM. Good morning. (music) Bye-bye.
1: The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie
14: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.